is all a fugazi. You know what a fugazi is? No. Fugazi. It's a uh, fake. Yeah, fugazi, fugazi. It's a wazi, it's a woozy, it's a fairy dust. Welcome inside to the Fantasy Stock Exchange. Bush and Danny coming at you with another Hot Commodities episode. Um, this is a continuation from the Black Monday episode that me and Nick did where we went into three backfields uh, of the, the murky nature and kind of dove in, decided which guys we're interested in, which guys we're not interested if we're avoiding the whole backfield altogether. Uh, so we got the same type of idea today. Uh, we're diving into the Seahawks, the uh, Patriots and the Dolphins this time. Um, the other ones, go back and uh, look at them if you missed it. Uh, Danny, how are you doing today? Yeah, doing well. Uh, again, just recently, like, ugh. sorry. These three backfields are definitely a murky situation from a fantasy standpoint. So uh, today we're just here to really dive into our, our thoughts, our personal opinions on uh, what we think is going to transpire. So, uh, yeah, just ready to kick that off. Okay, so the first backfield, as I mentioned, is uh, the Seattle Seahawks. So, um, Chris Carson is the the most uh, ru- uh, the biggest running back of note in this backfield. He's currently going at ADP 407, so he's a mid fourth round pick. And uh, I used Best Ball ADP because they're for money, so they're uh, the most accurate we have right now. Uh, Rashad Penny, uh, DJ Dallas, and maybe Marshawn Lynch are the other uh, running backs of note in this backfield. Um, none of them are being drafted in standard 15 round redraft leagues. They're just kind of uh, late round flyers if you were to pick them in like the last round of your draft. So um, let's start with laying out the kind of situation here. Everyone, everyone knows this is a run-heavy offense. They rank number five in the NFL in uh, rush percentage of 46% um, of, their, uh, of their plays, 50% in neutral game strips, uh, which when you have Russell Wilson, a lot of the time you're in the game. So definitely a run-heavy offense. 50% of the time doesn't sound like a lot, but in terms of uh, the league average is about 42%, I believe, uh, running. So that's, it's a, a good chunk ahead of the league average. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, we saw it last year, uh, especially the the way I'm looking at it personally uh, is the biggest question mark that we had with the Seahawks situation was the health of their two guys last year in Carson and Penny. Uh, I mean, I think that's that's been a question sweeping over the fantasy community, what to make of this. Obviously, two of them each had uh, season-ending injuries last year with uh, Penny tearing his ACL and uh, Carson fracturing his hip. But uh, basically, the way I, I'm looking at it is – the way the team allocated their draft resources really gives me hope on uh, what's going to be happening with Carson. Now, the Seahawks were in a position last uh, this draft. They could have taken one of those high-profile running backs. They were rumored to a long time. Jonathan Taylor, J.K. Dobbins, DeAndre Swift, but ultimately waited until day three to select D.J. Dallas. The way I look at it is D.J. Dallas is kind of, I don't want to say a clone of Chris Carson, but he kind of does similar things to what Carson does in the sense that he's a physical between the, between the tackle slasher. And the vibe I got from it was they're more so bringing him in as a, a handcuff to Carson in case anything happens. Obviously, Carson doesn't have the greatest injury history. In case he misses a couple games or so, you get a guy like DJ Dallas who can kind of provide that similar type role. So the way I looked at it is they're just getting insurance for an ultimate uh, Carson injury if that were to happen. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, though? Yeah, so you, you spoke on the, the injuries. I just want to dig in. Uh, on the screen right now, you'll see a tweet from uh, uh, Bob Condotta. Uh, he's a Seahawks beat reporter. He, he basically implied that on uh, the radio show, I guess, that he's on, he s- expects Rashad Penny to uh, start the season on the pup list. So Rashad Penny tore his ACL in week 13, which is like mid-December. So 
it's normally a nine to 10 month injury. Uh, so no one, uh, at least this guy who's uh, very educated on the Seahawks, a lot more educated than we are. Uh, he expects uh, Penny to be out for the first six weeks of the season. So in that case, I think the DJ Dallas drafting and possibly the Marshawn Lynch signing, if it happens, it hasn't happened as we're recording this. Um, will be to ensure that it's not just Carson back there. They're not going to go into the season with just Carson and, and DJ Dallas if Penny's out for the first six weeks. I do expect them to add someone if that's the case. So, um, but if that isn't the case and it is those main guys, and if it's Marshawn Lynch, he's not like a threat yeah, to like, Carson, in my opinion. In terms I'd be of, like, I was going to say, I'd be happy if they signed Marshawn Lynch because I have absolutely no threat level on them. Now, as much as we want to harp on the guy, if they brought in like a hide, I'd kind of be a little bit more concerned. Yeah, or like Devontae Freeman or they yeah. traded for Leonard Fournette or something like that. That's when it like it really affects Carson's value, and I'm sure his ADP would fall if that happened. Um, but I'm going to go back to something I said uh, two Black Mondays ago. Early season fantasy games are very important. They, people underestimate it. They think uh, when they're in their draft, they're, they're looking towards the championship. They're like, who's going to win me a championship? Well, you need to get to the championship to win a championship. So – Guys like Chris Carson are going to provide immediate value. Like week one, you know he's getting his touches, assuming he's healthy. Um, so he is the ideal candidate to pair if you, uh, because he's a mid-fourth round pick, if you take a Clyde Edwards-Hilaire uh, in the mid-second round, if you take a uh, Jonathan Taylor at the beginning of the third round, if you take J.K. Dobbins, I think he's going around this range, maybe even around after. Um this is the type of guy you want to pair him with because while those guys are kind of, cause they haven't all those guys have incumbent veterans in their backfields. They're not like the week one starters. So they're, they're going to take time to edge out the guys that are currently in their backfields. So if you have Chris Carson, then you can kind of mitigate some of that risk and you don't have to rely on those guys. as like your RB two or RB one right away. For sure. I mean, with Carson, I mean, you know the floor you're getting if he's playing. I mean, you're going to get 60 plus, uh, 60 plus percent of the snaps, especially with Penny gone. Uh, you noted there that uh, obviously when he does play 60% of the snaps, I noticed he had uh, – here, let me see what you had here. You, you can actually go through that. Yeah, I'll, that okay, time. I'll go into it real quick. So yeah. I had um, – when Carson played 60% of the snaps, and basically when he didn't play 60% of the snaps, the reason okay. was because he fumbled. And that's a big problem with Carson's game is he fumbled seven times last year. I believe he lost four of them. So when he didn't fumble, if he's able to clean that up, because I know the narrative in fantasy football is that, oh, this guy's a fumbler. Like, people do get better at things. Like, th these are yeah. human beings we're talking about. They do improve at things. They know what their like, faults are, and they, they work to clean them up. So, Adrian uh, Peterson was one of the best, best backs of our generation. He had a, a huge punt, a fumbling problem. Yeah, exactly. Happens. So if Carson's able to clean that up, um, he, he's a 60% snap share guy, which is a workhorse. Uh, in those 10 games that he played those 60% snaps, meaning he didn't fumble the ball, or if he did, it was like later in the game and it didn't affect his snap share. Uh, he had 209 carries, 27 catches, 1,150 total yards, and eight total touchdowns. Prorated to 16 games, which I, I'm not the biggest fan of doing, but just to show you, was 334 carries, 400, or 43 catches, 1,840 total yards, 13 total touchdowns. That, that's 305 PPR points, or the RB5 last year behind... Uh, Zeke Elliott and uh, Austin Eckler. That's an RB1. I don't expect his upside to be that high because I, I, I do think there's a lot of context that goes into prorating stats and whatnot. But he's a good runner. He ranked number six in evaded tackles last year, number four in yards created. He's a good runner. He's not the greatest receiver in the world, but he's a good runner. If he gets three, 334 carries a lot, if he gets That's 250 plus carries, he's going to be a fringe RB1, like middling, like mid mid-end RB2 at worst, in my opinion, if he gets 250 plus carries. 
Yeah, I was just going to preface that. I mean, you, you mentioned that 209 carries, 200, uh, 209 carries, sorry, 27 catches. That's over 23 touches per game. And yeah, that was in 10 games. Yeah. In one of the most run heavy offenses with Russell Wilson still trying to keep defenses honest with the play action game. I mean, when I look at Chris Carson, you're getting the touch, uh, the touch baseline that you look for in a workhorse. You're getting a guy who, when healthy, has shown to be a fringe RB1 at the very minimum. Like he's, he's shown to be a top eight, top 10 type running back when healthy. And you're getting him right now as the RB20 or so off the board. I mean, I get it. Injuries, fumbles it's concerning. Like it definitely is. And that's baked into the ADP because if he didn't have these issues, he'd probably be an early third round pick based on the role that he's projected to have and the volume that he should command. For sure. I mean, uh, when I look at Carson, he's the type of guy every year that gets underdrafted. And by mid season, you're like, Oh my God, like what the heck you're getting a guy in the late third, early fourth round type of player uh, that is giving you a a consistent type RB one high end RB two weekly. So uh, obviously people are going to overanalyze the injuries at this point, but given what the team has really made of the situation, I have here that uh, Chris Carson is definitely a target of mine in redraft formats. Now you get into dynasty. I still like him, but you have to take in, to the, He's a free the agent year. after this year in Dynasty. So for Dynasty, it's a lot more murky in that sense. But I mean, in this show, we're strictly talking redraft. And if you're getting a guy like that with that floor and ceiling combination as the RB20, like give me that all day. So uh, I have there, obviously, if you take Carson, in my opinion, you should take a guy like DJ Dallas later in the draft simply because he has such a concise role. You know he's going to be uh, the handcuff to Carson basically based on what he does. Like there's some, again, there's similar backs. Uh, now I don't think DJ Dallas can have the most value. Like if Carson doesn't get hurt, but he's the ultimate insurance plan in case he does. So yeah, I uh, think he might have a bit of standalone value until Penny comes back. If it, if it is like we, let's say like we're projecting optimism here, which is what we normally do at this point in the year. And we assume Penny's back week seven, once he's off the puck, uh, pup list, then DJ Dallas is probably not going to be very relevant after that, but he might've, he might be like, uh, one of those guys that has standalone value, but also provides handcuff value. If anything were to happen to Carson and Agreed. yeah, like where, where Carson's going currently, like I said, he's going four Oh seven. I think that's about correct. Like, I don't, I, I don't know if I would be in on him if he was going any higher than that, because I do think the risk of his fumbling issues and the risk of them signing a, a potential veteran running back, the risk of his injury history himself, it warrants being like an early fifth, late fourth round pick. I think that's exactly about the range that you want him to be. Again, this is why I normally say that you want to get running backs early is because once you get to guys like this, they do have risks. Uh, Obviously, Chris Carson has a lot of upside. Uh, Maybe not top five, but he definitely could be a top eight back and I wouldn't be really shocked about it uh, just based on the volume that he's going to command. But I mean, like, we'll dig into the rest of the backfield here. As I said, there's probably a solid chance, like a greater than 50% chance that they're going to sign someone else at some point. It's either going to be a Carlos Hyde, a Devontae Freeman, a Marshawn Lynch. They're going to add someone to the backfield, especially if what um, uh, the Seattle beat reporter said is true, that Penny is going to be on the pup list to start the season. Um, So I I don't really have any value. If if any of those guys get signed, I'm not interested. Like, I, I I could really care less. All it does is probably knock Chris Carson's ADP down, like, a round or two. Uh, DJ Dallas, like I said, he's, he's, a, he's a handcuff with a bit of standalone value at the beginning of the season, but overall, like maybe he's a dart throw. Maybe you want to throw your hat in the ring, yeah, see if you get something, round. but he, overall he's not insanely interesting. The, the guy that the only guy really I'm interested in, in this backfield is Chris Carson. So, yeah, I agree with that. However, though, like I said, if you are going to take Carson, I would 
I would pair him with a uh, with a not Penny uh, with a Dallas uh, in the fifteenth round because let's be honest, like fifteenth round anyways, where you're taking kickers, defenses, you're taking yeah. the, the end of your rosters. Why not just insure yourself in case? I don't know. Yeah, and like I said, if you want, if you're if you're waiting on running back, not like waiting, waiting, but like if you if you if you miss out, like maybe in the second and third round, like the value wasn't there for running back, and you got Chris Carson in the mid fourth. And maybe in the early fifth, you want to pair him with J.K. Dobbins or or DeAndre Swift or whatever. Like that's that's a pretty solid move in my opinion because you're gonna those Dobbins and Swift are not gonna be ready like week one to, to be starting running backs in your lineup. So that, that's just the way I see it. it. It's very rare that that does happen. It usually requires injury to like either Ingram or, or Carry On or whoever's in the uh, the incumbent starter. So I think definitely Carson is definitely someone you want to be targeting if you're going to target rookie running backs, which I personally have learned a little bit of a lesson from doing that too much. So I try to stick to um, more known running backs and that's why I draft them early. So um, let's, uh, let's move on to the, to the next backfield we got here. This one's in my opinion, the Seattle backfield was not as murky because it it seemed pretty laid out. This one's pretty murky to me, the new England Patriots. uh, There's a, there's a very common narrative that no one knows what the hell is going to happen in this backfield. And I, I, I think it's, it's more or less true. I think, you could project roles, but you don't exactly know when production's going to come. It's not exactly the most easy thing in the world to start Sony Michelle or start James White or start Rex Burkhead or whoever the fucking back is in the backfield. So I'll lay out the situation real quick. Obviously, um, my favorite team signed the quarterback away. Uh, so Tom Brady's gone. He's no longer in New England. Uh, they have a young quarterback as of right now is looking to uh, is projected to be the starting quarterback of the team. Jared Stidham is is a second year uh, fourth round. I believe he went in the fourth round. Uh, quarterback from Auburn he's he was pretty raw coming out uh, I mean it doesn't doesn't hurt going to the New England Patriots if you're a quarterback that needs to develop there's obviously very experienced coaching staff there that could help you do that uh, and here's the thing that is intriguing to me about this backfield they have an elite defense like elite elite it's going they're gonna a lot of people their over under win total in Vegas right now is set at it's a believe it's around the same as Tampa's it's like nine or nine and a half wins they're expected to really? be a decent, yeah. They're expected to be a decent team. I might smash the under on that, but a yeah, lot same. of people are not willing to to do that. People still think the Patriots are going to be in the mix. Like they're they're so well coached, it's hard not to it's hard to count them out, right? So they they just scream eight or nine wins max this year. Uh, when like when I'm looking at them, just simply because like mm-hmm. pe- what I don't understand is why is there such a negative stigma around what Brady did for them last year? Like yeah, I, I, I don't. I think I think it's because. What Brady did was not what we're used to seeing. Usually it's it Brady sexy. carrying the offense that, that leads them to wins. And most of the time that the Brady struggled was in big primetime games against really good opponents. So like when they played the Ravens and got absolutely shellacked, everyone saw that. When they played the Chiefs and lost, like normally Brady can pull a couple of those games out during the season where he beats a really good team based on the offense. And it was pretty much the defense just pounding on bad teams every win that they got. So for sure. Yeah. Yeah, no, I was just going to mention – wait. No, you can go ahead. You can go ahead. Oh, sorry. I thought you froze for a second. And no, I was just going to mention, uh, in terms of the New England situation, I mean, that's a constant thing in fantasy. Like, oh, avoid the New England backfield. You never know what's going to happen. You never know. But uh, the more I dive into it, again, like, congrats to you and Tyler because you guys somehow convinced me on this guy. But uh, the way I'm looking at it is Sony Michelle. I got his ADP right now currently as the RB36 off the board at the beginning of the eighth round in ADP. Like – are you kidding me? This is a guy who has uh, averaged 16.4 touches per game since coming into the NFL. 
He's started 22 games, made 29 appearances in his career, and in those appearances, averaged 16.4 game. You don't get that type of volume typically in the eighth round. Now, people are going to say, okay, he's not involved in the passing game. I get that. Look, but you're getting that touch baseline. You're getting a guy who's going to produce uh, in the red zone. I mean, he has 13 touchdowns in 22 starts, which is about 0.6 per game. Not to mention that over these past two years, he's honestly, he's been plagued by injuries. And if you watch the Patriots last year, you'll know that they were decimated on the offensive line. The last time we saw Sony Michelle fully healthy was in the 2018 playoffs. And let me read off the stats in those three playoff games that he played for that, for that team, ultimately on that Super Bowl run against the Rams. In those three games, he averaged 112 rushing yards per game, recorded six touchdowns, and looked like the healthy explosive back that we saw at Georgia. So with the raw carry totals, he was a gamer. The return of center David Andrews and Isaiah Wynn from injury and the projective reliance on a ground game easing a young Jared Stidham in with Tom Brady leaving the offseason, I'm more than willing to take a mid-round gamble on a guy like Michelle. Like, he's that guy who just always goes under the radar, yet you're constantly getting him out of value. I mean, last year he was a top 24 back, yet people are pushing him out of the top 30. It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, like, like you said, he, he had 260 touches last year. 260 in the eighth round, like all day. I like, I I know it's not sexy. I know he didn't show you like the breakaway runs and he doesn't catch a million passes. But as Danny mentioned, he had 41 carries inside the 20 yard inside the 20 last year in the red zone. He had 27 inside the 10, which ranks sixth in the NFL. And he had 12 inside the five, which was 11th in the NFL. He's going to, he gets, he doesn't get the, one of the more important uh, aspects of an offense, which is the receiving work, but he gets the most important, which is touchdowns and goal line carries in an offense that people still, for some reason, think is going to be effective. I, I might be wrong about them. They might be like a better offense than I think it's going to be, but they're, they have a young quarterback. They're going to want to protect him and run the football like that. He's the best runner on their team. I know some people are convinced that Damian Harris is better than him from what I saw out of Sony Michelle at Georgia, he's an explosive runner. He's an excellent runner. When he's healthy, he's shown it in the NFL as well. I'm, I'm kind of just banking on the fact that I think he's still talented enough to get back to that point. Obviously, last year, his efficiency numbers were not good. He just didn't look very – he didn't look right. I don't know if he was yeah. dealing with nagging injuries he, or whatever. He looked I, I really, I really couldn't find anything to tell me that he was, like, plagued by injuries last year, but there, there's something wasn't right, whether well, it was the offense, the offensive line, or him himself. I'm just not sure what it was. Well, I mean, it, that, that'll happen again. Like, again, I still believe he was banged up to a certain degree by injuries. Not to mention, like, people aren't even talking about it at all when they talk about, oh, why did Sony Michelle look so much worse this year than he did two years ago? When you lose your starting center and tackle, both extremely talented players. I mean, David Andrews is one of the top center, uh, 10 centers in the NFL, and we were both high on Isaiah Wynn coming out of Georgia. Yeah. They, they lost both those within the first six games last year. Like, that's going to take an effect on your offense as a whole, especially in your run. Left tackle is his best friend, too. Literally. Yeah. Uh, So, again, people are going to bank, oh, he had three and a half yards per carry. He's not a good player. He doesn't catch passes. I mean, at the end of the day, if he's getting that touch baseline, I feel like natural uh, efficiency on his runs is going to increase simply because of uh, those players coming back from injury and Sony Michelle really gathering himself in terms of health. But, like, taking him at the eighth round, you're basically taking him as – a low-end RB3, a high-end RB4. He like, has no risk there. at that point. All the risk is baked into his ADP. If he was a fifth-round pick or whatever like he was last year, then, yeah, like you probably don't want to take him because there is a chance that they start to to take seed carries away from him if he continues to be inefficient. But 
again, like I said, he's not sexy. He's, his, his upside is probably like RB like 10, like at the most. But if he gets 10 touchdowns and, and 1,200 yards rushing and catches only 10 passes, very possible. Um, and like, like I mentioned with Chris Carson, he's also a great guy to pair if you have a rookie running back on your team. Dobbins, Akers, uh, Edward Solaire, Swift, like JT, they're all going to struggle at the beginning of the season. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep saying it because people will still uh, scoop them up in best ball and scoop them up in redraft and just assume they're the workhorse week one. It's not, it doesn't work that way. Sony Michelle is the exact type of running back you want to use because there's a chance that Sony Michelle by week six is not useful anymore. But by that point, maybe J.K. Dobbins is an RB1. So it's a very easy um, transition. Let's talk about the other guys in the backfield. I was just going to mention that. And the line I have right here is James White is James White. I literally just wrote that. James White is James White. I have his, I, I attempted to pull up his splits without Tom Brady. He's played 72 games with Tom Brady and only four without him. I mean, the numbers are not good in the games that he played without him. Obviously, it's a very small sample size, but he did see a target uh, uh, decrease and a, a receptions decrease. So was, it is, it's was notable. That, was that the four-game sample size when Brady got suspended for Deflategate? Uh, I mean, probably. With Jimmy, Jimmy Garoppolo? Been in the since 2011. So it, he wasn't there when um, Brady tore his ACL or anything. So, yeah, yeah I it, think it's it, probably just his suspension. Yeah, it would have been the, the game uh, – when, when Jimmy Garoppolo started for three and then Brissett got one. Yeah. So like, uh, sorry, that was just a random tidbit. I just want yeah. to throw in. So, like I said, he's probably seeing a slight downgrade at quarterback. I think we can all agree about that. Yeah. I mean, like, as far as, like, a, a physical perspective, obviously <laughs> Tom Brady's way more advanced from a mental perspective than Jarrett Stidham is. But this, this, in turn, should make the offense see a downgrade, at least in my opinion. I don't think the offense is going to be much better than we saw uh, from last year, if at all. So it, just, it, it physically can't be. I mean, I, I don't understand. Uh, like, for example, Lucas is going to say, oh, well, Jared Siddham's just going to step in and did what Brady did last year. Like, that's not how it works. Plain and simple. Like, mm-hmm. Brady is not the top five quarterback he was three years ago, but he's still a darn good player. Like, and he was in an awful situation last year. Literally. People don't want to give him, like, give him credit for what he did. Like, you're a 43-year-old quarterback. You're not mobile at all. Half your offensive line's hurt, and you have no receivers that can separate. Like, the fact that he was able to even carry, like, to not carry that team because the defense carried the team, but the fact the that he was even able wins? to manage his team up to 12 wins is kind wins, of impressive. Even though the fact that their schedule is super easy a lot of the time, it was still impressive what he did. And I don't think Jarrett Stidham can do it as well as Brady did. Um, back to James White. He's still a usable asset. Like, e- either way you slice it, he, in the eighth round, yeah, sure. He's just got minimal upside. He's not, he's not sexy. He's probably going to catch... 50, 50 passes like he usually does. Um, so, yeah, maybe I'll take a shot on him if I need a flex. If I, like, I, again, I'll, I'll say it again. If I have a rookie running back, maybe I need to just play a guy for the first three weeks and get me through it until they develop. Uh, Damian Harris, we'll talk about him real quick. He's interesting. He, he's interesting to me. In the last round of your draft, like I said, Michelle, I, I believe in Michelle's talent, but there's a chance he's just not as good as I thought he was. So if Michelle continues to struggle with his injury history too um, – He's a valuable handcuff, Damian Harris. He might have some standalone value too. We'll see about that. I'm not really sure how much standalone value he'll have, but maybe he gets eight carries a game. So, um, and uh, one thing, uh, I'm gonna, I'm in on. I'll just give my overview of the whole situation. I'm in on Michelle's bounce back. I think he's gonna be better than he was last year. I'm kind of mad on James White. Sure, I'll take him if he falls a little bit or if I need him for whatever reason based on my team construction. And I'm willing to take a flyer on Harris. So this backfield definitely does interest me. Uh, yeah, I was just going to mention on uh, in terms of White and Harris, uh, in terms of James White specifically, uh, the situation is murky, as Corey has mentioned. Again, like uh, 
we don't like obviously James White is James White. He's gonna give you that baseline, but again, we're 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 projecting based off what we've seen with Brady. Obviously, it's not a large sample without him, but it just gives me pause, especially when there's turnover at quarterback to the point where when I'm looking at a guy like Tariq Cohen or Boston Scott, probably a similar type back that's probably going to go maybe a round later, two rounds later than uh, James White, I'd probably be more comfortable with taking those guys simply because when I look at turnover at quarterback, you never know how targets are going to be distributed. Like it happens yearly. Uh, so the way I look at it again, mentioned with Carson, given Michelle's injury woes, Harris will definitely be a flyer at the end of drafts, especially if you take a guy like Michelle. Say you get Michelle in the eighth round, you take a flyer on Damian Harris, Harris in round 14. That's typically a strategy I'd like to do. Like when, when, when I'm taken aback with these type of problems, especially in injuries, you always want to ensure yourself in case that happens because you're, you're going to get RB2, RB3 type production with whoever's in that spot. So Yeah, especially uh, if you actually have to rely on Michelle too. Like I know he's an eighth round pick, so he might be like your RB4 or something. But if he's like your RB3 or like you have a deep league with a bunch of flex spots and you got to start someone from that backfield then I don't I don't hate that strategy just lock up the backfield because the chances are someone's going to get the majority of work at some point it's not going to be like a 50-50 split between the two guys for carries I think one will edge out the other but I, I do expect it to be Michelle he's got the draft capital and all that so um, yeah, let's move on to the Miami Dolphins uh, Matt Breida ADP 907 Jordan Howard ADP 905 they're going right next to each other pretty much um, there's 154 vacated opportunities in this backfield, plus another 190 if Balazs and Laird are cut, which I probably expect to happen based on the guys that they brought in. <laughs> I mean, um, uh... There's 354 total, and uh, I think there's like kind of a regression to the mean of, of the opportunities in the backfield in general because they were so inefficient at running last year it, it, that they basically went all passing. And if they have these guys are both two competent running backs, they're not going to go as pass heavy as they did last year. I was going to mention, like, their run game last year may have been the worst thing I've ever seen. Like, I could have realistically took the ball from under center, dive forward for two yards, and I still would have averaged more yards per carry than Balazs did last year. Like, that's how bad it was. He averaged yeah. 1.8 yards per carry, and I, th- I believe it was 2.4 yards per catch. Like, that's yeah, speaking just- of how bad their run game was, they were second to the last in run percentage at 34%. And uh, for reference, New England, where Flores was before, uh, was around 41%. So if the situation corrects itself. That's probably where I would expect Miami to be. Given they come from the same regime or whatever. Um, the run pass splits for this team though, like I said, they're pretty much irrelevant because they couldn't run the ball to save their lives and they were much more efficient passing. And here's why I'll put this on the screen right now. This was their leading rushers on the top is a 36 year old quarterback, not a running back. Ryan Fitzpatrick led the team in rushing with 243 rushing yards last year. And God. they had guys like Mark Walton, Kenya Drake, who's good, but they didn't want to use him for some reason. Patrick Laird, Caleb Balazs, they all had like 200 rushing yards. And it was just a complete joke of a situation. Jordan Howard is not the most sexy running back in the world, but he's so much better than all of these guys. So if nothing else, even if Brita gets hurt, which is a very likely possibility, Jordan Howard could keep this offense on schedule. For sure. I was just going to mention, uh, in terms of the Breeder versus uh, Howard debate, obviously we're not going to touch on freaking like Patrick Laird and Caleb Lodge because who, who the hell cares about those guys? The main guys we're talking about are Breeda and Howard. This is a classic efficiency versus volume debate, kind of similar to what we saw with Miles Sanders and Howard in Philly just last season. Uh, the way I look at it, like we've seen over the years, Breeder's that flashy type runner. He's going to average five yards per carry. He's going to get these 90-yard breakaway type runs just because he's an incredible athlete in the open field. However, Howard's going to get those 10 to 15 carries per game, give you a solid four, four and a half yards per carry, not be involved too much in the passing game, just kind of give you an efficient back uh, to kind of like 
hold the majority of the workload. So when I'm looking at it, I, I would project a guy like Howard to maybe get the 15, 17 carries per game while Breed is getting the more valuable touches, maybe 10 to 12 per game. So I think this is going to be a pretty even split with Howard ultimately getting more of the early down work with Breed again, third down work and uh, overall like passing work. So uh, that's just my thoughts on it. Uh, it. To me, there's not really a preference. I mean, if you want to play it safer, go with Howard. Uh, you want to play uh, play it with a little more upside, maybe a little more juice, go with Brita. But at the end of the day, at their current ADPs, I think it's just kind of a wash. Yeah, and this, like Danny said, it's a floor-ceiling argument. If your team, like I said, if you, if you have a team that has rookie running backs, you want to probably pick Jordan Howard because Jordan Howard's going to get you by while those guys develop. If you have a team where maybe you're in a shallower league where you only have, you start only two running backs, maybe you only have one flex spot or whatever, and you just want some guys on your bench with some upside, that's probably Matt Breida is the guy that you're going to want to pick there. Because Breida, he's super efficient. He's always been efficient. He just can't stay healthy. But if he somehow were able to piece together some healthy games and whatnot, even if you're only using him for like five games, he could be very valuable. So I understand the side for both. I'm kind of just going to depend on what my team is looking like, yeah. whether or not I'm going to target these guys if I target them at all, um, they're not, and neither of them are really anyone. I'm like, Oh, I have to get one of these guys. Like I, I'll, I'll kind of pick them if I need running Take backs, my value. If, they're, if they're at value, like whatever. Uh, this is, this is the point in the draft though, where I am looking for backup running backs though. Like the eighth, ninth round normally at like from rounds, like three to like seven is where I'm looking to stock up on receivers, maybe a quarterback if they fall at value or a tight end, if they fall at value, I, I normally avoid running backs between those rounds because they're, they're generally just like Chris question Carson. Marks. They have a lot of question marks and stuff. And I find the running backs in the eighth and ninth round have like the same amount of question marks as the guys in the fourth round. So I'd rather just wait on those guys. Yeah. But yeah just... um, do you have anything else on these guys or should we, uh, should we close this one out? Well, I was actually just going to mention in terms of draft strategy, obviously you don't want to lock yourself in into, Oh, I'm going to take two running backs in the first three rounds. I'm going to take three receivers between rounds five and seven. And then I'm going to figure out uh body running backs at the end of the drafts. Like it's nice, like kind of developing a plan, but at the end of the day, I mean, you don't know what's going to happen on the draft day. You could be at one twelve. And freaking, I don't know, Michael Thomas falls to you there. Like, obviously, it's not likely to happen. But let's just say you plan on going RB, RB, and then wide receivers from rounds three to six. If a guy like Michael Thomas is there at the 112, like, you just can't pass him. So, uh, again, just be flexible with how you're drafting, especially uh, in terms of murky situations. Just draft based on how your team's being constructed. It, again, as Corey mentioned, if you're going with a bunch of rookie backs, maybe get with a guy like Jordan Howard who can consistently provide you uh, the floor. And if, if you have a shallower league, like Corey said, target a guy with upside like Rita. So at the end of the day, just be, just be fluctuating with your, uh, your draft strategy. Don't be stuck on one thing. And just let it come to you rather than trying to like force it yourself is yeah, what I would say. For sure. And a big like a big part of playing fantasy is knowing like how your league drafts as well. So if if your if your league drafts like receive like my league is they draft like big name guys early because it's a home league. Like my my favorite league that I care the most about, I'm talking about specifically. Um they they like the big name guys early. So I I always am like taking I'm snatching every sleeper left and right because they don't really know them because they don't follow fantasy as close to as, uh, as close as I do. And like Danny mentioned, if you're in a draft and you, the best way to handle it is by drafting using tiers. And in our, in our draft guide, which will be coming out in the summer, we'll have tier based uh, rankings that you can use because obviously you want to use them as a tiebreaker. If you have a running back and a receiver, like you, you have the number six receiver and the number six running back on the board and the running back is in the, the second tier and the receivers in the third tier, 
then you want to take the running back. And my advice would be if it's early in the draft and, and it's like, even I would take the running back every yeah. time because running backs are shallower. So yeah. Now like it just depends, honestly, like if you're comparing, like, I don't know, say you're at the one Oh nine and the best available running back is like a Josh Jacobs, but the best available receiver is like a Tyree kill. Like that, that's going to be a situation that may happen. in a lot of your guys That'd be drafts super is- close for me too, because I like, it's a tier two, it's a tier two running back for me, but it's a tier. It's my number one receiver. Yeah. So in that situation, I would probably take Tyree kill, but I wouldn't like, I, I, I would normally would be favoring the running back because Jacobs is going to be a workhorse running back. It's, it's hard to find them, but sure. anyway, that's enough ran, uh, rambling. Yeah, from sorry. Us. I just go we'll, on. <laughs> uh, we'll close this one out. Um, as always, make sure you guys like comment, subscribe, um, throw ideas for the videos in our discord. Make sure you're in the discord. We're, um, working on forming some leagues for you guys to, uh, it's a good community. We're always, um, conversing in there, talking dynasty, talking redraft, trade discussions, potential trades, whatever you want to talk about. Uh, we post our videos in there and make sure you also have the notification bell on, on YouTube as well to make sure you're uh, keeping up with all the videos. Uh, this is the second week of our schedule. So I'm sure you're kind of starting to see how we're trying to lay things out here. This should continue as it is right now for the rest of the off season. And then in season, we'll have a brand new schedule with different types of content coming at you. So um, uh, without further ado, uh, definitely uh, enjoy your Thursday. Uh, Take it easy and uh, peace out. Peace out.